Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 41. Starting on page 854. And let's see how this passage resets us in our understanding in how God deals with rejection. Verse 41. Hear the word of the Lord. Tell you what, let's pray before. Dear Spirit of God, residing within us, open the eyes of our heart to see you. Open the ears of our soul to hear you so that we might uh, follow Jesus in the ways of life, in the, the fullness of God's mission. His name we pray. Amen. I Luke 19, starting with verse 41. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were spellbound by what they heard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you handle rejection? You know, if we think about how God handles it, how do you? And if you can think back to a, a time that you were rejected and you can respond to that time objectively. Um, I had to look back to a time 30 years ago uh, to be able to do that. When... Donald, David, and I were talking, and Donald encouraged me, yeah, go ask her. She wants to go out. And so I did, and quickly returned to Donald, and told him that I was rejected, to which then we quickly made the step of belittling her. Yeah, now that I think about it, who'd want to go out with her anyway? Yeah, it's her loss. Yeah, don't worry about it. She's, you know, really, she's not worth it after all. That could be one way that we handle re rejection. We belittle the one that rejected us. Or we can, in rejection, harden our hearts, you know, in order to protect them. You know, we, we harden them, we sort of shrink back into the shadows, hoping none will see us and we're not letting anybody else in. How does God handle rejection? I wonder if we did one of those, um, you know, man on the street, woman on the street kind of questions. And how do you think God would handle rejection? I'm willing to bet a lot of people would talk about destruction, God's wrath 
annihilation, fire and brimstone raining down from heaven on those that reject God. Or at least God would somehow turn you into a mouse or something. Be something that He would do. Well, and we've got that story. It's called Noah and the Flood. But we find, as we look at Jesus here, and whenever we see Jesus, we see God. I mean, Jesus is the, the human representation of God. God in human form. So when we see Jesus, we see God. And what we see with Jesus as He is on the donkey, on the little mound, headed into Jerusalem, He looks at the city, He feels the rejection, and He weeps. His heart is broken for the city because they have rejected Him and rejected the peace that He says He wants to bring. And now, now as they reject Jesus, they are given over to the desires of their heart. That's what Paul says in Romans 1 also. And the desires of their heart will lead to a destruction. To the very opposite of peace that he then outlines in our passage here. He weeps for the city because of their loss. When you're God and you're inviting others, you're giving yourself to others, you're, you're wanting to be received by others and you're rejected than it is to the loss of the one who does the rejecting. And God weeps. Now, if you think you're God's gift to women and you're rejected, it's not really a loss on their part. It's actually a gain. But God can be rejected and He responds with a broken heart. And the reason God can do that is because God is complete in and of Himself. I mean, God needs nothing. The triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit needs nothing. He didn't even need to create. It was an act of love. And because He needs nothing, He can offer all that He is to all that He created and if rejected, he responds with a broken heart. Not with any of the pathological ways, or at least unhealthy ways, that we respond when we're rejected. You know, there are always a lot of parallels between parents and children. And, and God and us. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how God is complete, that God is, does, does not react in an a inappropriate way to being rejected because He's being complete. I, I thought of how, as parents, we try to live our lives through our children. You know, the, the part of us that's incomplete you know, um, 
I know you've seen it. Just go to a little league baseball game. You know, and there's going to be a parent in the stands that, you know, they're berating their child because they're crying when the ball hit them in the gut, you know. They're berating them over striking out. And, you know, and you're like, man, you're, they're living what they didn't complete to their children. I do it with a band. See, I never got to play an instrument, and so I made all my children take free lessons that you got when you're in school. You know, be in the school band, learn a, a, uh, an instrument, and then you would be able to play music, and it'll be great, and I'll get to live out me through you. Well, I didn't go anywhere. They've all done their two years. They've been counting the days since they started, and they're done. I should have used the reverse psychology and told them they couldn't do it. Maybe that would have worked. Since Jesus is complete in Himself, He doesn't need us. But He wants us. I mean, it truly is an act of love that He comes to bring us peace. That He comes to bring us peace with the Father, peace with one another, and even peace within ourselves. I mean, He has come to announce, proclaim, to enact the destruction of the walls that separate us from God and from one another. I mean, it truly is that He has come for what we say is our mission, to be a church without walls. But not just walls with the world, but walls with ourselves and walls with God. That all the walls are down. That we seek to be that jubilee community of peace, freedom that Jesus brings for us. And yet so often we reject His offer. And He weeps for our brokenness and destruction. Now, I wonder if maybe there's someone here today who are scared of God's anger. And you're willing to admit or at least look at or at least say there's a part of you that has rejected God, maybe actively or maybe passively. You know, just sort of ignored him. And for whatever reason, something is tugging at you. There's a, I'll say that it's the Spirit of God that's tugging at you, probing you, bringing things to your mind. But you're scared of God's wrath. That is, if you come clean with Him, what you're going to receive is what any jilted lover would give. Hear the Word of God. Learn from the, the, the events of Jesus how God responds to your previous rejection is with a broken heart. And so if you are getting in touch with your rejection of God and you are, are ready to... to walk before Him, to be, be right with God, God does not then have a list of payments that you have to make to satisfy His anger or a, a waiting period. As in the last several weeks, we've looked at the story of the prodigal son and there is the story that God seeks you even, runs to you with a broken heart, 
weeping, ready to embrace you if you're ready to come back to Him, to receive His offer, to walk with Him in all of life. May this story be one that resets your picture of God. That He's not mad, but sad. That He grieves for your pain. And He has indeed come to bring you peace. Another element that this part of how God, how Jesus reacts to His rejection that can be reset within us is how we, within the community of faith, those that have received His offer, those who are walking with Him, do we look at the world with the same broken heart that Jesus does? Is Jesus formed in us in such a way so that when we see the sin, the brokenness, the lostness of our world, that we respond with the same broken heart of Jesus? Do we call sin, sin, but will we do so with a righteous indignation or do we do so with a tear streaming down our face because our hearts are broken for the lostness? of our world and because of the broken heart that God has. God deals with rejection in grief, in pain, over the lack of peace and destruction that those encounter who don't receive Him. Now, the second part of the passage then shows how Jesus reacts to being rejected with words of correction. He corrects those who then oppose His purposes. He looks over Jerusalem and He weeps. So His heart breaks in rejection. And then He enters into the temple, into the community of faith, into the very heart of the community of faith. And there he faces the rejection of those who were the religious leaders of his day. And there we see the emotional reaction of Jesus against God's people. I mean, Peter, First Peter, said it well. You know, judgment begins with the household of God. If there's a place of his emotion, of his emotional reaction to being rejected, then it's among those, in a sense, who should know better. And so he reacts to those who are in the temple by correcting them. Seeking, trying to wake them up as he has his entire adult life. And as he does here. And we're told that he enters the temple and begins to drive out those who are selling things. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, I wonder, what exactly, I'm not giving too much detail here. There's a parallel in Mark that gives a little more detail to this event. What do you think the problem is here? I mean, is it they just shouldn't sell things in church? 
You know, is it just they just need to move outside the doors of the church and there they can sell what they want? Is that all that he's getting at? I don't think so. And it just takes a little bit of digging into what Jesus is quoting in this particular passage. In in Jesus' day, especially the hearers in the middle of the temple would have known exactly what he was referencing. Similar to when I, for many of you, if I reference the prodigal son, you know the story. You've heard it before. I don't have to say much more. Well, in Jesus' day, him referring to a house of prayer would have, for many, keyed them right in to Isaiah 56. I invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles, if you want to grab one. Look there, it's on page 599 in your pew Bible. And that's where Jesus is quoting as he's turning all the the sellers, the money lenders, turning them out of the temple. Here's verse 1 of chapter 36, which sets the scene, which it makes it, you understand, it's a, a messianic prophecy. Uh, Isaiah is talking about the day that salvation will come, and that is the day that Jesus is fulfilling, which gives it even more meaning. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 56 verse 1, Maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And that's who Jesus is. The salvation, the deliverance of God has come and has been revealed. Then look at verse 3. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. We go back to the context of what Jesus is quoting. Somehow, having these sellers, this marketplace in the temple, has somehow caused, has put up a wall. Has put up something that prevents others, the foreigners, the eunuchs, the weird ones, the people that aren't like us, to come in. And so Jesus, when Jesus sees that, knows that in the temple, His response is direct opposition and correction. Get them out of here. Because that is the direct opposite of what the work of the temple is supposed to be. 
The work of God's people is not to put up a wall, an obstacle, something to have to know, some inside language in order to experience the peace and the love that God's come to bring. But the work of the church, the work of the temple, the work of God's people is to tear down all those walls. Or even better, to live according to the fact that those walls have been torn down at the cross and to walk across the rubble. And because it was directly opposing the very purpose that God had put them there, Jesus directly corrects it. And he tears down the wall or he tears down what is causing it. I mean, you know how that is. You ever been into a local restaurant? You know, but you're not a local. You know, and you just don't know all the ways that you can order things and what you're supposed to do. And you sort of sit there, but everybody else knows. You ever been to the Varsity in Atlanta, Georgia? It's a classic place. Huge hot dog place. I mean, it's packed. And you walk in there, and the people at the, the counter, they just keep, yeah, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Have, have. What do you have? What do you have? And you're like, I don't know. I just want a hot dog. <laughs> but you can't ask for just a hot dog. I mean, they got rules. They got guidelines for how you're supposed to get it. Now, they're good hot dogs. They're really good onion rings. I mean, that lubes you up for a full year instead of their onion rings. <laughs> but you got to know, if, if you want a hot dog with nothing on it, that's a naked dog. And believe me, it's a naked dog. <laughs> or if you want a scared dog, what's that? A hot dog with just mustard. And they got all kinds. You get yeah, you got the ye- yellow, yellow scared mustard. Okay, good. <laughs> but it's all kinds of inside rules that you got to learn in order just to get you a hot dog and French fries. But once you figure it out, it's good stuff. Jesus doesn't want his people to be like that. We don't have to learn an inside language. We don't have to learn the ways to do it. No, this is exactly the opposite. This is supposed to be the Jubilee community, the church without walls. This is indeed the place where we are to connect with one another across all the social constructs that we build among ourselves, whether it's race, whether it's class, whether it's generation, whatever it might be. That's what the vision of Jubilee community is. It's the vision, more importantly, of Jesus is. And while he brings that opposition in their rejection, he goes on to quote Jeremiah 7, 11, with the den of robbers. I'll start with verse 8. It's just a few pages over, page 617. Jeremiah 7 Verse 8. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, Become a den of robbers in your sight. See, what what had happened is that the temple had become not a place of transformation, 
but a place of protection. The den of robbers were focused more on their, themselves, on their own profit, their own security, their own comfort, than they were on the mission of God. To carry out God's love to the world, to be a blessing to the world, which was God's people's purpose since the beginning. And we certainly know in this Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week that the way of Jesus is not to pursue His benefit at the expense of others, but just the opposite. The way of Jesus is to pursue the benefit of others at His expense. And that's what this week is all about. And so that's why as a Jubilee community, we serve according to the character of Christ. This self-sacrificial way that we serve for the benefit of others even at our own expense. That's why, as I said last week, um, Archbishop Temple said it so well, that the church is the only human society that is in existence for the benefit of of its non-members. Now, today, you have available for you the survey results as we are walking down a pathway of possible merger with Winton Hills Community Presbyterian Church. And again, I affirm you and affirm the folks that have put so much time and energy into pulling all of that together. And it's been really helpful to to unveil so many different issues and concerns. And one that I believe the Lord has laid on me from survey and also from conversations, which by the way, those are available, they're available online, Hope you, I mean, it's a chunk of stuff too. I mean, it's like this thick. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Um, and there's some available at the information desk, hard copy, but also online just at the website. And I encourage you to go there because it costs a lot to put those things together. But as, as going through that, there's been a lot of questions and concerns. And this is a natural thing during such pressure under such stress, but a lot of questions and concern that focus on me and mine. You know, what will happen to my church? How will this affect my favorite part of the church? Lots of energy spent around saving the church. Not a bad thing. My concern is where's the energy about pursuing the kingdom? Now, this happens in both directions. And some people say, gosh, this is great. This is the salvation of the church. Other people say, gosh, this is terrible. This is the destruction of the church. But you see, in both cases, the point is the church and not the kingdom. So I wonder... These next two weeks, I don't wonder, I encourage you, I I challenge you, in these next two weeks, to ask that question of God. I mean, it's it's your decision. Is this where God is, is this something that we, it's worth to explore because, yes, this would fulfill God's mission? 
Or is this something of our own making to save the church that would really hinder the mission of God? I mean, in a sense, from our passage today, the question is, how do we recognize if Jesus is visiting us? Is this His invitation or is this our human wisdom? What I encourage you to do, and if you haven't written anything down, if you haven't listened until now, listen now. In the next two weeks before the congregational meeting, which is simply to vote as to whether or not we should go forth and explore this anymore, because there's a lot of energy that's going to have to be expended to explore this and then decide if we do it or not. So this is just to say, do we explore this any further? Is that we spend the next two weeks spending 30 minutes to an hour every day Praying, reading the scripture, and listening. I encourage you to read Luke 20 through 24. And it's Holy Week. This is when the pressure was on Jesus. What a great time to walk with Him in this pressure-laden time. And then to read Ephesians 1 through 6, which gives such a great picture of the church. But to read it, Chapter a day. Luke 20 through 24, Ephesians 1 through 6. And then to ask this question in prayer. These questions. God, why do you think this exploration is a good idea? And God, why do you think it isn't? And listen. Write it down. Journal. God, How would this exploration fulfill your mission? God, how would this exploration hinder your mission? That's the question to ask. Listen. Two weeks, listen. And let that inform us, inform you in your decision. God is rejected. And as we look at how God is rejected, we see how God resets us all. Helps us see that when God's rejected, He grieves over our loss. When God is rejected, He corrects us according to His purposes. But the best news of all is that the story doesn't end with our passage. And this is just the beginning of Holy Week. That we know that even though Jesus was rejected by all, except maybe a handful of women, even His closest disciples left Him, denied Him. He still carried out the purposes of God. He still fulfilled God's purpose. To the late Paul Harvey, the rest of the story are the events of the week ahead. That God's mission is not thwarted even when rejected. God's mission will go forward. That is good news. It's in God's hands, not ours. Now, as we come to pursue, to join 
at the table with Jesus at communion. We also have healing stations. And what, what you'll see...